Hey, that's awesome. Uh, As our kids are making their way to the classroom, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. That's where we will be today, Acts chapter 14. We'll pick up in verse 19. (coughs) One of the things that uh, Pastor Paul Dacus told me that he likes to do in students on Sunday night is he likes to give all the points ahead of time. Now, I'm not a big fan of that for myself personally because I kind of like to surprise you along the way uh, with just uh, where we're going with the text. However, I'm going to try Pastor Paul's um, uh, uh, practice today, uh, and and I'm going to tell you what my four points are before I ask you if you need a Bible. Actually, if you do need a Bible, raise your hands while I'm telling you these. Uh, There you go. Uh, if If you need a Bible, raise your hands. We'll bring you one. Our blue shirts will bring you one. Awesome. Thank you, Blue Shirts, for doing that. If you there's a hand right here. Awesome. I see that hand. Here are the four points today that you, um, that you should look for. One, uh, first one is this. Make disciples, strengthen, and encourage, and if you do, tribulation will surely come. Okay? First point of encouragement. Secondly, your best life will not be now. Where's Angelina? Where are you at? Your best life will not be now. Third, when well done is actually good. And fourth, the door is still open to the G's. The door is still open to the G's. We'll get to that one. We'll just hold you in suspense there. Right now, we are in Acts chapter 14. We'll pick up in verse 19. I will uh, read that together. Actually, if you'll stand with me while we read uh, the word today and while we honor the Lord as we read the word today. Acts chapter uh, 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But... When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered into the city, and on the next day he went, up, went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia, came down to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the words in Perga, they went down to, At- to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Let me pray one more time, and we'll jump in. God, we love you. We need you. Help this preacher today to declare the good news of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, we'll pick up in the first couple of verses in chapter 19. This is just persecution that continues to follow Paul. Here's what it said. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Circle, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. Now, it's really easy to kind of just read through that and just speed on through that as you're reading the text, or if you're just doing your daily Bible reading, you find yourself in Acts chapter 14. Uh, It's easy to just fly past that. But in the whole context of what we're doing, what we're seeing happening is these opponents of Paul, they had followed him around. I mean, they had come out of their own region back, back in the first verses of, uh, of Acts chapter 14. Turn back with me, if you will. Let's look through the first seven verses of chapter 14. You'll kind of understand where all this got stirred up in the first place. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now, in Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So you see what happened? Remember when we talked about this, that Paul and his companions spoke and a lot of people chose to follow Jesus. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so they remained for a long time. 
speaking boldly for the Lord, who were witnesses to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made, look, by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And so that tells us that they left that area where people were going to had planned to stone them to go somewhere else. And then we get to our text today. And so those people that we read about, just read about in the beginning of verse 14 weren't satisfied that they left their city it weren't satisfied that they wanted to stone them in their own city they followed them on to where they happened to be happened to be um, uh, and so some of these people you would have to assume were probably some of the same people the text doesn't specifically tell us that but if i'm just thinking just put yourself in the mind of a stoner wait a minute uh <laughs> Put yourself in the mind of someone that's going to stone someone in a particular city. Ideally, what you would read from the text is that they were so angry with him that they chose to follow him on to the next city and took their rocks with them. Packed their rocks in a bag and said, come on, boys, we're going to another stoning. And off they went, the text tells us, that people showed up. You have to assume that. The text doesn't exactly tell us that it was the same people, but you just have to make some kind of assumption that it was probably some of those same uh, men that were there to, um, uh, to follow him and continue to persecute him. Now, this was some hundred miles away, so this wasn't just a, a quick overnight journey that they had to go on, but something around a hundred miles away, and they showed up just to make Paul miserable, and they were dedicated, these guys were dedicated adversaries to not only Paul, but adversaries to the gospel. They were, uh, they, were, uh, they were an antithesis to the gospel. They were an enemy of the gospel being preached. So as a matter of fact, uh, this will be the first thing I'll say. The gospel produces adversaries and opposition. It obviously produces other things. We'll talk about that. But the gospel being proclaimed produces adversaries and opposition. Despite what your favorite televangelist may tell you, Whatever he may espouse, following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Being a follower of Jesus is not the easy road. Being a follower of Jesus ensures that opposition will come to you, Christian, if you honor the Lord with your life. And that's what each of us, if we call ourselves Christians, have to examine within ourselves today. Is, is, and, the, and that thing is, am I honoring the Lord with my life? If there was an examination on my life today, would people who are opposed to the gospel be opposed to me? Would people who are opposed to the fact that the, that the fact, good Lord have mercy, spit it out, son, would people who are opposed to the gospel be opposed to you? Would they be opposed to the things that you're saying? Would they be opposed to the lifestyle that you're living, one that is honoring the Lord Jesus? If you honor the Lord Jesus with your life, you will find opposition. Secondly, you'll find opposition if you profess the gospel with your mouth. Miles St. Clair and I were just talking out in the foyer, and he was telling me about uh, him declaring the gospel and sharing the gospel with his friends. How cool is that? We've got young people, 18, 19-year-old young people, boldly sharing the gospel with their friends. I know what happens. Our young people are lit up with the gospel, and they are sharing the gospel with their friends. And I'm going to tell you, whenever you share the gospel, sometimes in some uh, locations and with some groups of people, some people in those groups are going to oppose you. It's inevitable. It happened all through the scriptures. They oppose the, the gospel in, uh, personified in Jesus. And people are going to oppose you if you're willing to share the gospel. The people will oppose you if you have the intestinal fortitude to say, like these men did, that following Jesus, to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus is the only way to find life in Jesus. 
The only way to salvation, the only way with a right relationship with God is to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus. You will find opposition. Some people say, preacher, that's intolerant. That's what Jesus taught. Preacher, how can you say that there's one way when there's other religions that teach other things? Those other religions are wrong. Preacher, how can you be so uh, uh, narrow-minded? Because Jesus spoke this very thing. He said, the wi- the wide is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. It's easy to travel on the wide road. I like to travel on the wide road. I have a tendency when I'm driving to kind of hit those things over on the side of the road, <clears throat> those ones, you know, and sometimes I'll run on the middle lane. If you're behind me, sorry. If you're meeting me, sorry. But sometimes I just kind of drive all over the place. But I'm glad those roads are wide. But wide is the road that leads to destruction, the Scripture says, whenever we don't follow Jesus. If Jesus, if we're not putting our faith and trust in Christ alone for our salvation, then listen, friend, you're missing the boat. If you're here and you're trusting in anything else but the finished work of Jesus, if you're trusting in your good works, if you're trusting in the fact that you think you're a good person, if you think that you do, that the scales are going to balance out in your favor one day, I've done more good than I have done bad. Trust me, that won't work for you. That will end very badly for you. There's one way to be in right relationship with God, and that is to repent of your sins and put your, finished work in the, uh, put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. That's the gospel declared. And yes, many people do come to know the Lord in that. We're, all, we're really happy about that. But many people will oppose you because of that. You will have adversaries in opposition. People were incited against Paul and Barnabas for the proclamation of the truth. And so expect this vitriol to come. So they incited, say incited. They incited the people of this new city in Lystra, which is where Paul uh, had gone during this time. Against, they had decided them against Paul and Barnabas and instigated, say instigated. I don't think all of y'all are saying it. I'll start over. They incited, say incited. There you go. Incited people in this new city against Paul and Barnabas and instigated, say instigated. They instigated uh, the stoning of Paul. And as we read this through the text, it just basically washes right over that. And they stoned Paul and assumed he was dead and then the text moves on. You remember whenever we did that a few, um, I don't know, it's been a number of months ago now. Remember whenever we had somebody on stage, if you're new here, we didn't actually stone Josh Hawley, um, but we should have. Uh, But we brought somebody up on stage and we had a bunch of young people up here with stones that were like this big and we had somebody else on the other side of the stage just kind of standing there and basically in a stoning, all of these people on this side of, of the stage would have thrown these rocks at this dude. Typically they would put him in a pit Uh, So they couldn't get away, and they would stone this person, hitting them with these giant rocks in their body, in their head, in their face, wherever it happened to hit them, until they were dead. That's how stonings went. And so the text doesn't go into all that detail, but that's what that would have looked like. And so it says that they stoned him, and they left him for dead. It seems that The gospel being proclaimed boldly and unashamedly tends to incite people in these cities. It does awaken some to believe the gospel and stirs some in their flesh to oppose the gospel. You have to think about what it does to you. I mean, really, I would say the Holy Spirit brought you here, if nothing else, to be confronted by that question. When the gospel is declared, when the good news that salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ, and you, eternal life is granted to you whenever you follow Jesus, that either should stir up in your, in your soul, and your spirit, uh, just a joy that God would love you so much that he would give his only begotten son, and whoever, that means you, if you would believe in him, you could have eternal life and not perish That'd be incredible. That either stirs up something in you, but for some, it probably brings up just some angst in your soul. That You're like, hey, preacher, if you'd just move on and preach something topical so I don't have to deal with this gospel stuff all the time, I'd like this church a lot better. Too bad. We got one message here. 
But it's the gospel. And so, if it's stirring in you like that, our hope for you is that you will recognize that maybe you have become an enemy of the gospel. And rather than being an enemy of the gospel, we'd like to be you to be saved by the proclamation of the gospel. That's our hope for you today. For these Jews who came from Antioch and Iconium, they were stirred in the flesh. Look what the text says about them in verse 19. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered into the city. And so Paul was somehow miraculously preserved here, okay? I mean, it, it said they stoned him, left him for dead, so they thought they had done their job, and, and they moved on. But the, the text says that he was somehow miraculously preserved. There are some that say, uh, there are some um, uh, commentators that say they think he actually died and was raised back to life. I don't live in that world. The text doesn't tell us that. Uh, but there are some people that would even say that. Uh, just their opinion, not mine for sure. Paul later did write this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. Jot that down. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He may have had in mind the scars uh, from this incident. Certainly he referred to it in, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five. 25. Write that down. He says this. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. People knew what stoning meant during that time. They knew that they were going to put somebody in a pit and chunk rocks at their head until they were dead. And so he said, once I was stoned, everybody knew what that meant. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea. And it's reasonable to think that maybe even as Paul was being stoned, he might have thought back to even the stoning of Stephen that he oversaw on the other end of the throwing of the stones. That's from Acts chapter 7. Look at the last seven words in verse 20. When Paul was revived, he did not flee the city that stoned him. Instead, he immediately went back into it. What does it say? He rose up and entered the city. What? He rose up and entered the city. There's a TV show called What Would You Do? Anybody know that show? Raise your hand if you know. You know so they, they give these scenarios and, and they play out these scenarios with actors, whether they're in a restaurant or whether they're in you know, some public space. And typically there's you know, some man and woman that's into it or somebody like yells at their kid or just so, does something like over the top. And so the, the whole purpose for the show is to say, hey, if you get put in some kind of weird weird kind of uh, social position, how are you going to react to it? Are you going to step in and be part of it? Or are you just going to kind of keep drinking your coffee and, you know, uh, whisper to each other or text to your friend, can you believe that's happening over there? I can't believe she's speaking to him like that. I, I never do that. And I'm glad nobody sees me doing that in public. You know, all that kind of stuff. You text one another. But in this thing, it's the whole thing to put somebody in a position to go, what in the world would you do in a position like that? And I think about this whenever we think about <laughs> Paul being stoned, and then he rolls on back into the city. At that point, I mean, I like to think I'm relatively strong in my faith, but if you dudes, like if all y'all stoned me one day out in the parking lot or over there in the meadow that's across the street now and left me for dead, man, I'm out. You are on your own. I like, again, I just ain't as spiritual as Paul, but y'all got to find another preacher because I am out. But I love this part. I, I really do love this part because the only way, say only way, the only way to keep going at this point is if he so believed that this was true that despite being stoned he kept on saying the stuff he kept on preaching the gospel he kept on saying the message that got him stoned in the first place that people traveled a hundred miles to come they wanted to stone him in the last city they followed him to the next city and because he was preaching the gospel stoned him anyway and then when he got up he was like all right, where's the next place we going? Here in this city. That's incredible. 
The only way that happens is if it's true. The only way that happens is if the resurrection of Jesus is true. The only way that happens is to know the fact that I've seen the resurrected Jesus and I know it's a true thing and I think it's worth being stoned and then dusting myself off and going up and preaching that same message that just got me stoned. That's crazy. Look back at verse 20 again. But when they enter the city... Excuse me, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. If you're an underliner in your Bible, I'd underline that, I'd highlight that, I would circle that. Clearly a miracle, zero doubt. Uh, people were very familiar with stoning in the day. People don't just walk away from stoning, but Paul did. Got up, the text said, dusted himself off, gathered about him, gathered himself, went, you know, one of those, and rolled on. It was like a blip on the screen for him. It's almost like trying to remember what our old building looked like now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, wait, I, where, where do you go from here? It's irrelevant because we're somewhere, we're, we're keeping on going. Rose up and entered the city. If you're a skeptic in this room, pay attention. If you're not yet believer in this room, pay attention to that. If you're a half-hearted follower of Jesus in this room, Pay attention to that. Refuge. Pay attention to this. Preacher. Pay attention to this. He was not deterred. He was not afraid. Not worried about what others thought about him. Because, hey, he just got hit in the head with rocks. And he kept on going. Instead, he was bold and to press on emboldened to keep on with the upward calling that was his in Christ Jesus. Oh, church, that we would believe the gospel so fervently. That we wouldn't just dismiss the preaching of the gospel so easily. That we would stand firm even in the face of opposition today, which is very, very little for us today. That we would persevere through those times that we think maybe we're being a little bit persecuted or people are going to make fun of me because I'm a Christian. Oh, that we would just continue on. That we would go boldly. God help us to do this. Just that. Let's keep going. Verse 20. And on the next day, he went to Barnabas to, with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Stop right there. So despite the persecution in Lystra, the work of God continued. They just did it in a different place. They moved on from there. They moved on uh, to Derby, And the, they, kept their, uh, they kept on doing the same thing, preaching the gospel, making disciples, preaching, gathering together, preaching the gospel, making disciples. Hmm. So... They spent time together, kind of in community. They declared the gospel, and they made disciples. Hmm. That sounds like that could be a pattern. For like, maybe that's a good way for Christians to live today. Then, and today. I mean, they went about their business, spending time with one another, preaching the gospel, being about the mission of making disciples. I would say if they had a mantra, like if they were like, hey, how do we just keep on, how do we keep on doing what we're doing? How do we remind ourselves that we're just going to keep on doing this thing over and over and over again? What do you think it could possibly be? Oh, um, yeah, they, this is what they were doing. Th this is what they kept doing. It's what we have seen. You've heard these words. If you've been at Refuge for many long, you know this is, this is what we filter everything through. This is what we keep pounding over and over again, that we're going to preach the gospel regularly, that we're going to live in community, and we're going to live our lives on mission so that other people will know the gospel, so that other people know the resurrected Jesus. And then we're going to keep doing the same thing again. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to live in community with one another, and we're going to be missionaries so that we can go out and tell other people about the Jesus that we love and proclaim. And then we're going 
going to preach the gospel again ne- the next week. And we're going to live, we're going to try to live in community together. And we're going to be on mission so that other people can come to know Jesus. Where did we get that from? Oh, well, yeah, G- the, we just read about it. That's what they're doing. We didn't just make up some cool sounding thing. We looked to the scriptures to go, this is how we're Christians we're called to live. The early church was called to live this way. Why would it change for us in any way? Let's keep going. Verse 21. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthen, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. And so Paul and Barnabas decided to head back home to Antioch. They passed through cities that they had visited before, and the scripture tells us that they were strengthening them and they were encouraging the Christians in those cities and 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 they had more desire than to just gain uh gain con- uh, converts. It wasn't just about, hey, let's preach enough and let's get you to pray a prayer and then we're going to move on. No, they circled back around with them and came back and said, "Hey guys, how are you doing?" Are you still following Jesus? Are you still putting away some of those things you need to put away? Are you still putting on the things of Jesus? That's what it means to be a disciple, is to become more like the one you're following. And so they were going back to these churches uh, to do that very thing. They had a passion to make disciples. And so they kept on doing that. And it's my desire that we would have that same heart refuge. For the same, the same kind of heart for people living in Lakeland, for the people living in Arlington, for the people living in Bartlett, for wherever you live or wherever you might have come from today, wherever you may be, is to do this same thing. Strengthen one another. Encourage one another. Make disciples of one another. We all need to be strengthened and encouraged. We all need to be discipled. So let us pursue this not only for ourselves, Let's be people that are willing to give our lives away for the sake of others doing the same thing. It's no small thing to walk with the Lord year after year, trial after trial. It takes a strong soul to do that. It takes a faith that gets encouraged regularly to keep on keeping on. Here's the tough part from verse 22 that will not be found on a Christian coffee mug. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, you and I must enter the kingdom of God. Paul could preach that message because Paul had already started to live that message. As he strengthened and encouraged the new followers of Jesus with this message, He wanted to do so so they wouldn't be caught off guard. Why do you think that we keep doing the same thing for you, Refuge? Why would I stand up here and say, hey, persecution's going to come. Hey, whenever you go and you share the gospel with somebody, there's probably going to be some people that make fun of you. Hey, you know what? You may lose a few friends over the fact that you're going to follow Jesus. Why in the world would I say such depressing things to you? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Paul thought it important enough to go back and tell these things that were happening to him so that they wouldn't be surprised that once they followed Jesus, once their eyes were opened, their hearts were encouraged, their faith was bolstered, and they believed, repented of their sins and believed the gospel and followed Jesus, he didn't want them to be deceived that, man, everything's just going to be hunky-dory as you go forward. He wanted them to know what was probably coming down the pipe for them. He didn't want them to be surprised. For many, this is a forgotten message today. Some consider any kind of tribulation completely counterproductive to Christian living because there is some sections of Christianity or so-called Christianity that says to follow Jesus is to experience the best that we can possibly experience here and now. Your best life will not be now. I'm not saying it's not good. I love my life. Love my wife, love my kids, love this church, love the community I live in. It's not the best for me because I follow Jesus. Best is yet to come. Best is yet to come. 
Jesus didn't teach that this is the best life. Instead, Jesus taught this from John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. He said it. He's like, tribulation's coming. But I'm the Lord even over that. I'm in charge of it all. What does tribulation really look like to you and me today? Like if you said, bro, I'm in the middle of it. You wouldn't believe what's happening to me. You don't have to answer. Think about it. What if that tri- you're experiencing some tribulation for following Jesus today? I ain't trying to minimize it. You ain't had a stone upside your head, though. What we face today is paltry in the line of Christendom. What we face in the United States today is low on the scale when it comes to persecution for being a follower of Jesus. I'm not trying to minimize it. It's just true. It's just true. So we're called to strengthen one another. Despite where we feel about it, despite what I just said, you and I are called to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to say, hey, bro, keep on keeping on. Hey, sister, let's keep walking. Let's keep moving forward. Let's keep doing this thing. Let's, let's keep following Jesus together. Let's put these things on. Let's put on Christ and these things he tells us to put on. Let's put those on together. Let's put off these things. You know that filthy mouth that I've had for a while? Let's put that off. Hey, that other thing that I've had on, let's just put that away. Put on the things of Christ. Put off the old man. Put off the old woman. Put on the things of Christ. Why? Because we can take heart. Because Jesus has overcome the world. Acts 14, verse 23 says this. When they had approached, excuse me, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And, and so Paul and Barnabas were not, I mean, they were committed to not just making new Christians, but establishing churches. And they didn't want to just, you know, they didn't want to share the gospel with somebody and then go, okay, well, good luck. Hope that works out for you. They're like, no, you come over here and meet these people in your city. And you two meet some more group of people. You know what? By a few people you got together, you've got a church. You got a group of Christians that gather together and worship the Lord together and pray and fast and, and seek the Lord and encourage one another as we, fall, as we fall by the wayside and then remind one another of the gospel and then invite other people into that. Oh, wait, that, yeah, that's gospel community mission. Yeah, that's what they were reminding one another of doing. And so they kept on doing these things over and over. There's one commentator that said this. The apostles had left behind only a tiny core of believers, and these had hardly been taught anything since the apostles had been there at best for only a few weeks. How could this little group survive? It survived because the work was actually the work of the Lord. The church is his church. It survived because the Lord wanted it to survive. It survived because the Lord was saying, I am building my church. I am, I am planting the gospel with people, and I am going to be the one to build my church. This refuge church is no different. There's zero reasons, zero reasons that refuge church should be 15 years old. There's zero reasons that Refuge Church should do a million-dollar renovation on this building and not have a cent of debt. Zero reasons but God. That's it. That's it. There's zero reasons that you should risk friendships for the sake of somebody knowing for you sharing the gospel with them. Why, why destroy a good friendship? Why cause angst in a friendship? But God calls us to something different. But God says he'll be with us even in the middle of those times. But God says, I have people in that city. You go and share the gospel. I'll awaken them to the gospel. But God, anytime you're wondering what you should do, whether you should stop, whether you should quit, whether you should not say what you say, remind yourself, but God, but God is with me. God calls me to this. God, God, God says he's, he'll never leave me or forsake me. God is doing the work. 
but God. The text tells us they appointed elders, qualified men to lead these churches, this new church plant. And so we have to go, what, what were they looking for in these dudes? I'll tell you what we look for in elders here at Refuge. Here's, here's what uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're welcome to turn there if you want to. This is the reference if you just want to write it down. Here's what he wrote to Timothy about elders. He said, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Let me stop right there for just a second. This text doesn't say that these overseers are to be perfect in every way and to always, every time, do the right thing. You know why? Because they're men, just like you men are men. But it said their lives should live a distinct pattern that says this is what, this is, when I look at that dude, this is what I think about whenever I see that dude. Above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. I know I threw in that with uh, faithful to his wife, but it's always faithful to his wife. <laughs> Sorry, don't be confused there, okay? Uh, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That's what Timothy says. Titus wrote talked about some of the same things titus chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 an elder must be blameless faithful to his wife a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient since an overseer manages god's household he must be blameless not overbearing not quick-tempered not to not given to drunkenness not violent not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold uh, firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And so this is what the writers of the New Testament say that you must look for. So as they were appointing elders in these new churches, I'm sure they were looking for elders that had this same type of uh, characteristics about them, not unlike what we do here at Refuge. If you're going to want to be an elder at Refuge, we're going to use these biblical qualifications as we appoint new elders even here at Refuge. Being an elder is not for the faint of heart. Some of you may inspire to be an, uh, aspire to be an elder. We hope you do. And if so, we hope one day that God will lead you here to be an elder at Refuge. That you'll aspire, whether you aspire to be an elder or not even, man, what a great uh, qualifications, not only of just elders, but men who follow Jesus. We should all aspire to things like this. Let's keep going. Text tells us that Paul and Barnabas demonstrated their great concern for the health of these churches, uh, and he did it so by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting for the leaders of those churches. Man, I'll tell you, one of the greatest things in the world that you can do for me is you can pray for me. One of the greatest things that you can do for your church family is to pray for your elders. Pray for your leaders who are in your churches. The text tells us that's what these dudes did. They prayed and fasted over these guys because they know that the work is serious. They know that the work is difficult. They know that the work, that they're going to be opposed by our enemy. No, they know that, that our enemy will use people to enter into the lives of those elders there and oppose them to their face. I mean, they tried to stone these dudes. And so it's imperative for you, church, to pray for your elders, fast for your elders. What do you mean, preacher? I'm saying abstain, fasting is abstaining from something so that whenever you would normally be doing that thing, then you would instead trust the Holy Spirit to sustain you through that. Most of the time, it's like eating or drinking something. So rather than intaking something, then you would abstain from that for a time. Trust the Holy Spirit to sustain you through that time so that during that time you are laser-focused on whatever it is that you're talking to the Lord about. 
whatever it is that you want to hear from the Lord about. He said that they prayed and they fasted, but in the end, they could only trust in God's ability to make this happen. It was the Lord they believed, not their methodology. They trusted the Lord. They didn't trust the fast. They didn't trust what they were doing to cause something to happen. Their trust was in the Lord, not in their methodology. It's because of this, because of these passages we just read, that, el- that refuge is structured the way that it is. It talks about Paul appointing elders. It talks about elder qualifications, all those things we just read. We, we are structured the way we are because we think that's clear teaching from the Scriptures. Let's keep going. Acts chapter 14, verse 24 uh, to 26. Sorry, I've got the wrong Scripture up there. 24 to 26. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and, they had, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. All right, so here's the part where we talk about I don't like well-done steak. Um, is there anybody in this room at all Who likes a well-done steak? I'm very disappointed in you. The most. All right, let me see those hands again. Can somebody write this down? Uh, Okay. Let's take another poll. Who likes, who loves Jesus? You people don't raise your hand. Just just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, who likes a steak that is rare? Raise your hand if you like your steak rare. Oh. Let me see. Let me see those hands. Okay. Okay, I, I see you. Who likes your steak medium rare? You are the saints. Okay. <laughs> Who likes your steak medium? All right, there's a few handfuls of me. Who likes your steak medium well? Oh, y'all are getting close to heretic area. And then back to one more time, the well done... Uh, apostates, okay. <laughs> All right, well done. I don't like my steak well done, and most normal people don't. However, I, I, all kidding aside, I do want to hear well done. I want to hear the Lord say well done. Good and faithful servant. One of these days, we'll all take our last breath. One of these days, we'll move from this life to the next. It's my great desire. I, I, I don't necessarily care that the Lord won't care if I, what college football team I was for. He won't care where I lived. He won't care how, what school my kids attend. Any of the things that we you know, get ourselves so caught up in, at that point it won't matter. Man, I really want him to hear. I really want to hear him say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Well done. I hope that's your heart's desire. I hope that's your heart's desire is to go. When I move from this life to the next, this life's a vapor. Quick, we don't know when the end comes. My hope for you, and I hope for this church, and I hope for each of you who are in Christ Jesus that you'll walk in and you'll step from this life into the next and Jesus will meet you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Paul and his team was commended, the text tells us, or they were given a good well done even there. Hey guys, you've done a great job. And even though this immediate mission was accomplished, the work of planting new churches and strengthening new churches or, or strengthening existing churches, it's never ended. We're called to keep doing those same things over and over again. Your elders have been on phone calls and in meetings and Zoom calls and all that kind of stuff over the last few weeks with different pastors, not only across the city but across the country about different things and why we're doing and why we're not doing and why we don't belong to certain things anymore. We've left some associations that we've been a part of because we've seen those associations drift from the fact of proclaiming the gospel. Drift from the fact of this is what it looks like to be in community with one another and encourage the saints. 
And rather than holding on to a title in some uh, church planting or church strengthening group, we said, that's not, we don't believe that's what God's called us to anymore. Because you, our elders, are, your elders are trying to be faithful to the call that God has put on us. We have chosen, uh, for the, even for the witness that we have, to say we're going to move forward and move on to something else. I want you to be, church, I want you to be encouraged by that very thing. Churches need to be strengthened, though. And these were for sure. Now, verse 27 and 28. I call this final section the door that is op still open to the G's. Now you'll find out. Verse 27. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So the success uh, with evangelism among the Gentiles and the blessings that God had really demonstrated showed that what God had done in Antioch was not just unique. It wasn't just a special time just for Antioch. God had commissioned these men, like he had commissioned others men, to go and repeat the same thing over. Preach the gospel, live in community, live on mission to make disciples. Why did he do it? He did it all for the sake of the G's. What? Who? The Gentiles, yes. He did it all for the sake of the Gentiles knowing Jesus. And that's what he calls you and me to today. Look, these trips that the, the, the apostles went on to, that they went on, this was no summer beach trip. Okay? It's a fun trip, right? Amen? Amen? Hmm? It's no summer beach trip. Good things happen on the summer beach trip. That's... This was not a summer beach trip. This was, hey, man, we're going to go. Somebody's going to throw stones at my head. They're going to leave me for dead. But we're going to go ahead. We're going to keep on. We're going to keep on keeping on. Which brings me to the question. With this, I'm going to close. What will it take for you to press on to the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus? I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about you. What will it take for you to press on for the upward calling in Christ Jesus? Without excuse, you and I are called to make disciples. If you're a Christian, you and I are called to make disciples because to make a disciple you got to be a disciple being a disciple of jesus and so if you of who follow jesus you who are christians you who are doing this thing saying this thing where you're about the gospel and you're about community and you're about mission you go this is what god has called me to i'm calling you to press on keep on keeping on man i'm not very good at it preacher me either I'm not good at it either. But I'm going to keep on keeping on. And we'll keep on pressing on together. We'll keep on doing it together. And we'll encourage one another along the way. I'll say this to you. Your best life is not this life. Unless you're not a Christian. Listen to me. If you're not a Christian yet, you don't know Jesus yet, Holy Spirit does not live within you yet. This is, best that, this is the best that it gets for you. This is your best life. Whenever you take your last breath, if you stay in the same place, when you take your last breath, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Rather than stepping in to the presence of the Lord where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. We take this last breath and we wake into our judge that just might say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't even know you. 
That's your two options. That's why Paul thought it so important that even after being stoned, that he went back into the city and continued to preach the message, that the life-saving, the life-giving message that Jesus rescues sinners. Hey, sinners, all of us sinners, all we sinners, that message is for me and you, that Jesus rescues sinners from the judgment of God from the eternal damnation that comes with being outside the household of faith. He beckons you today with the same kind of fervor. I beckon you today with the same type of fervor that Paul, despite being stoned, got up again and said, I'm going to preach the gospel again. Because the power of the gospel, when it's declared that the Spirit uses to awaken sinners to the good news of the gospel. What is that good news? That good news is this. That left in and of yourself, you will not and you cannot come to Jesus. That's why Jesus came. You can't be perfect enough. The scales never balance out in your favor. You can't do good enough works to make yourself right with God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, he makes us alive in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that we trust Jesus. We hear the gospel preached, and our hearts are stirred toward that. What's happening to me, preacher? That means that the Holy Spirit is stirring within you to go, what that man is telling you is true. What that man is telling you is the way, is the truth, is the life, that you won't come to the Father except through trusting in Jesus Christ. What does that mean, preacher? That means to believe that he came and lived the sinless life that you and I cannot live. That means that he willingly laid his life down on a cross. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I give it willingly. He willingly laid his life down on a cross, shed his blood to cover your sin debt. Without the shedding of the precious blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. And three days later, he died on the cross. They buried him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And he is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on those who are his, on our behalf. Preacher, I want that. Preacher, I need that in my life today. Preacher, I desire to be in that kind of relationship with God. Then our call to you is to come to Jesus. Our call to you today is no matter where you are, no matter how embarrassed you think you might be, hey, I don't even know what to tell you, preacher. It doesn't matter. We'll help you. We'll show you. We'll guide you through what it means to repent and believe the gospel, to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus today. It'd be our joy to get to do that with you today these guys kept going because they believed it's true we keep preaching the same message because it's true today today you come to jesus let's pray